Welcome to the People Chronicles. Today my guest is Dr. Patricia Annawalt. Dr. Annawalt is a grief counselor and the director of Pathway Center for Grief and Loss, which is, I think, a part of the hospice and community care in Lancaster? That's right. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me today, Patty. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Now, we begin each program of the People Chronicles with the question is, what is it that you want the listeners to take away from our discussion today? I guess I'd say um, just about everyone everywhere is grieving over something, and yet it's something that nobody ever seems to talk about. So, so much of what people struggle with is actually very normal. Um, they're having very normal reactions to something that's very difficult in their lives. So I, I guess I hope that people will come away feeling affirmed and reassured that even if they're in a very difficult spot at the moment, that it, they will heal and get through it and and feel better. Oh, that's a good thought because I think that, you know, I know in my life I've been through it. I know in your life you have been through it as well. And probably a lot of the listeners have been through a time of grief or loss. And... We tend to keep it to ourselves, really, many, many, many times. Well, and, and there's even, I am a grief counselor, and, and the bulk of what I do in my day job is helping people cope with the loss through a death. But there are so many other losses that people don't even recognize are losses. They're, they're really what we call secondary losses. And so if people don't understand even what they're going through, it's pretty hard to figure out what they need to do about it. Yeah, I want to find out how you got, got to this path, but I, ju- I want to pick up on that term that you used just now, a secondary loss. What did you mean by that? Actually, just last week or two ago, we had a support group of grieving teenagers. And what we had them do is each of them were coming to the group because they had lost somebody they cared about in their lives. But we had each of them write down on stickies, take a few minutes, and each of them on every sticky, they wrote another loss as a result of the loss of the death. And then what was very powerful about it is we had an easel, and one at a time, the teens would go up and put stickies, all the stickies they'd kind of written, and they had several for for their losses, and they'd put them on the easel and just talk about, you know, like they, you know, they the holidays are difficult because the person is gone, or now they don't have anybody to go camping with, or um, financially there's difficulties because the breadwinner had died, or whatever. So the secondary losses are all the other things that we grieve as a result of the main loss that people tend to be more aware of. And ah. th- those are just as important to be aware of and and understand what they need to do to kind of cope and get through that. Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of it in that, t- in that term. Uh Okay, so now, now is really the question is, why in the world would you go into this line of business? <laughs> a lot of people think yeah. that. And say, How could you be a, a grief counselor? Really? Um, actually, it's a, it's a very powerful opportunity to be with people at a very difficult time in their lives, but we're all much more resilient than we realize we are. So to companion somebody, to walk alongside them and kind of, I often describe it as actually like throwing out a life raft as people feel that they're drowning and they're overwhelmed and they don't know how they're going to get through a difficult time. And basically we kind of lend them the hope, the conviction that you will get through this and, you know, life is worth living and you'll find other things to still find life worth living about. So we walk alongside people, and we have the privilege of seeing them discover the inner strengths that they have and the new insights that they gain, and they come out on the other side very appreciative of that support. And we really, we didn't do a whole lot. We just kind of walked with them. They're the ones that do the, the hard work of figuring out what they need to do. So when you uh, graduated high school, did you say, I'm going to be a grief counselor? <laughs> Good question. No. <laughs> I had no idea what I wanted to do. Okay. So uh-huh. how did you get from the high school diploma 
to the PhD in in in, in wait a minute health health administration in health administration. Okay, how did you go? There? My well, my um, I was undecided when after I went through college, I had a under graduate degree in sociology and I'm just always fascinated by theories and how people work um, and I ended up going to graduate school for rehabilitation counseling and really what rehabilitation counseling is is helping people figure out how to cope with significant physical losses so I worked with people who would never walk again spinal cord injured young men uh, stroke, pa- stroke patients uh, brain injured so as I helped people like that and I worked at a major medical center um, do the same thing basically figure out how they live with this huge loss in their life of of physical disability it really was wonderful preparation to go into the field of hospice where basically I'm helping people cope with uh, end of life and living without a person they care about so it's very similar so it was good preparation for that so in answer to your question I just it can be it's very um trying to think what the word is very rewarding to see people discover their own inner strengths and come out on the other side and basically so many grieving people embrace life so much more because they've been through such a difficult time in their lives that they really are re-energized to appreciate what they have while they have it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I read here that you're a certified Thanatologist. Thanatologist. Is that, am I saying you're right? Actually, I just came back from um, my annual conference with um, the, the word the for me. Thanatology. Thanatology. Thanatology is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. And I'm actually just newly coming onto the board of directors for this organization called the Association for Death Education and Counseling. So that's where all of us thanatologists gather. <laughs> there are many, I There assume. are many. There were, we had a record-breaking, almost 700 people from all over the world actually come. Um, and we gather once a year at an annual conference. Wow. Um, as you know, I lost a parent when I was very young. I lost my father when I was four years old. And uh, there was not really a lot of education. I think I was told that my dad died, and then it was get up the next day and go to school almost, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I know in your life, too, as well, you lost a parent early on. How old were you when you I was 33 when my mother died. You were 33 yeah. when your mom died, uh, which is young, I mean, by mm-hmm. today's standards anyway. Uh, so I, I have this... Uh, I, uh, this utmost respect for what you do because I also know that you do some you run a camp for mm-hmm. children we've we've made some wonderful inroads in the last 20 years in terms of supporting grieving families so yes I've heard so many stories such as yours just coming back from this conference actually many of the thanatologists there um, there was one presentation I went to where they spoke of their own personal history and how that led them to the work that they do um, so there were a couple of them that spoke of losing parents as a young child and um, there was no there were no services so much of what we've learned in the research in recent years is the importance of working with families and educating the adults it's not always parents who end up raising grieving children but educating the adults and how to support grieving children and so much of it is about being open and grieving together and helping the child get through it because what happens with children is they intuitively know that the in your case your mom was grieving the death of your dad and so you, even if your mom had been more open about it you most children and work very hard to not talk about or ask questions to the adult because they don't want to upset them. So you end up having adults and children grieving separately rather than together to get through it. Hmm. So we've come a long way because now we have, you know, many, many children that we work with both at our camps as well as throughout the school year as well as in the schools. So I do a lot of work in the schools educating teachers and counselors on how to support grieving children so they don't feel alone. There's even a Children's Grief Awareness Day now on the 3rd on the, the Thursday before Thanksgiving, 
every year. And the focus of that is to inform schools and let kids know when they're in schools that they're not the only ones going through it. Great. I know that we had spoken also that you were saying that the May, June um, time of year. year time of year is tough for people who are grieving. Why, why do you think that is? Um, because in May and June there's graduations, there's weddings, mm-hmm. there's um, – uh, what else? There's weddings. Oh, Mother's Day and Father's Day. So there's a, it's a time of year when families gather and have a lot of traditions that they usually celebrate together as families. So when one person has died in that family, there's a huge void. And so sometimes people may who are grieving may have lost their loved one, say, last October. And now there it's been many months. They've gotten through the holidays, which is another difficult time. So People, when they're grieving, expect they're going to get better and better and better. And they're sort of surprised when, as the year goes by in that first year, actually, they kind of bottom out sometimes at six or nine months along the way, or when they hit a new season or a bunch of different special days, and they wonder, what's wrong with me? Everybody else is coping well, and it's been many months. I must not be doing grieving properly. So much of what our work with people is to help them realize that they're not alone. Okay, we'll be back in just a second. Entrepreneurs, nonprofits, everyday people need to tell their story. You need to connect with your audience. Find out more about how to use the platform of the People Chronicles to tell and share your story today. Contact us at info at thepeoplechronicles.com or 610-207-6573. Welcome back. This is People Chronicles. This is Anna Rose, and today my guest is Dr. Patricia Anna Walt. We're going to pick up a little bit, Patty, where we talked about uh, how you got into this profession, but also, you know, it it has to be stressful on you as an individual. And I'm just wondering, uh, how do you not burn out? Well, for several years, I'm, my kids are older now and they're they're raised, but for many years when I was getting into the field of grief counseling, I had two jobs. I would have my day job and hear these sad, difficult stories of people and develop the programs that I put together. But then I had to go home and raise my kids. And it kind of taught me a healthy balance, the importance of healthy balance, because I couldn't, I just didn't have the option of of, um, bringing what was bothering me at home. I think depending on the situation, certain certain very tragic stories that I hear, yes, I have to be very intentional in separating that out and doing something with it. For me, oftentimes it's processing with somebody else, talking to a peer, kind of getting it out. And when I was, for example, in um, after 9-11, I spent two weeks in Shanksville, and I worked at the morgue and the, went to the crash site to meet with the families, and we planned a memorial service, and I journaled. I just... It was, I was learning so much. We were doing 12-hour shifts, and it was just amazing to be a part of all that. And I needed to do something with all that. So every night I would journal. We also would go out with the other people. from. I was with Red Cross, and I'd talk with them, and we'd kind of share and compare our stories to kind of take all that emotion and do something with it. So that was very helpful to me. And it really informed me in terms of my practice because really what grieving people, grieving people have all these grief of the responses you have to loss. So it's all those different responses emotionally, cognitively, psychologically, spiritually. There's a range of reactions that we have when we grieve. Mourning, people tend to lump them together, but mourning is what you do with all those reactions. So some people don't go there, and it just piles on and piles on and piles on, and then suddenly comes out somewhere else. So for me, I learned about myself. I just need to really express it in some fashion. 
usually by talking or sometimes journaling. Uh-huh. That's great. Actually, I think writing is, is very well, cathartic. Yeah, I mean, actually, you, know, you would think that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> of course, I would think that, yes. Um, because I did write lunch with Lucille as during my morning period for mm-hmm. my mother. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yes, I, I find that very cathartic so mm-hmm. in the journaling. Do you think that, uh, speaking about that, do you think that men and women, do you think that they grieve and mourn differently? Is there any difference in gender-wise? Well, sometimes, but I hesitate to make that generalization because the example I often get um, years ago is there was a man I met, uh, John Bramblett up in Vermont, and his two-year-old son was run over by a, a garbage truck driver. It was such a tragic situation. I remember that. And he was a mechanical that. engineer. So you would, you could presume, being male and mechanical engineer, that he would be the type of person that would need to kind of act out his emotions and, and um, you know, stay busy and, oh, tone down his feelings. That's what we call the uh, active griever, somebody that really tones down their feelings and instead needs to kind of do to keep busy, whereas an affective griever is someone who needs to process, needs to talk about it. So many men tend to be, um, they tone down their feelings and they don't want to talk about them, but somebody like John is a great example because for weeks and months afterwards, he would corner anyone that would listen and want to talk about his son. And his wife was much more private, and she'd say, this is our personal information. Why do you need to talk to even strangers about it? So I love that example because it really kind of blows out of the water male-female. I think instead there's a continuum. Some people need to do and keep busy to cope with their loss. Other people need to really cry and talk about it and process it in, in a variety of ways. And it's a matter of helping people figure out and this is what we do in grief counseling, is really listen to people and hear what it is that's most helpful to them. And oftentimes they worry they're not, not handling it in the right way. And then as we listen, we say, well, it sounds like that's helpful to you. And we give them permission to continue to do that. Can you do something wrong? I mean, when you do your grief counseling, and because I, I know that you take it, uh, you know, that you've, you've, you, you take this very, very seriously, because I, I know you as a person. Is it possible to do or say something wrong when someone is grieving? Yes. Grieving people will tell you in that people feel uncomfortable when somebody's grieving. So because if you were deeply grieving, even I as a grief counselor, because I know you as a friend, I'd feel like I need to fix it for you or I'd feel uncomfortable. What if I don't say the right thing? So I might say something stupid just to kind of fill in the space. Really what it's about is listening. And so sometimes grieving people will talk about, others will say, I know, how you want, I know how you feel. And nobody really knows how another person feels. Grief's a funny thing. In some ways, it's so personal and individual. And in other ways, it's universal and we can all relate to it. So I'd say possibly yes if we put our foot in our mouth and say something like, I understand, or um, you need to keep busy, or whatever it is that we give advice for. It's better to just listen. Uh-huh. So, so you have really great listening skills. Well, and I was just about to say that's you know easier said than done. Yeah. I mean, my own daughter, I I often give the example of uh, she'll call and she'll be upset and she'll be venting and she's telling me all her problems and I'm quick to jump in and say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And she calls me on it and she says, Mom, I called the vet. I don't want you to fix it with me. So yes, although I am a counselor, I'm not. I don't think. I think we all can improve when it comes to listening. Yeah. And it's not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> listening like is probably the, the most hardest thing to God do. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Yeah. Or, or a professor of mine years ago said, you take what you want to say and cut it in half. There's just ways that we really need to stop and maybe ask a question or two open-ended to hear where people really are. Yeah. Very, exci- very, very, very um, inspirational, I think, you know. One other thing, 
you know, when we talk about uh, people dying and loss, you know, when you come into a situation that is that you know that just happens suddenly versus someone who is ill and you know like when I lost my mom my mom was 92 you know she went through a process of dying um there is no you know I knew that she was going to pass away but then there is the times like when you were dealing with the Amish community after the shooting that that, uh, was just so sudden and so tragic you know what is the difference there Uh, the difference in a sense is that oftentimes when it's a sudden tragic situation it's hardly sunk in of what's happened people people have trouble even really kind of coming to terms with realizing it really happened so uh people actually don't fully start to grieve and process those reactions yet because it's cognitively it's still sinking in if you think about i often give the example of 9-11 what people did all day they watched television and if they got in the car they turned on the radio because we it was, the magnitude was so huge and it was so sudden that, you know, we want to understand why. Sudden, you know, car accidents and things like that. We're trying to figure out what happened and understand the why behind it. So the deep grief and uh, emotions almost comes later. And the other piece about sudden is that people too quickly try to get help for whoever has had that sudden experience. And they're usually not ready for help because, again, cognitively they're just trying to process and realize this really happened so we're never fully ready even when we sit by the bedside of our loved one for you know days weeks or months we know what's going to happen but there's that phrase you can no sooner stare at the sun than you can face face your own death or the death of a loved one we're we're never ready so there's still that kind of traumatic sudden wow this really happened there's an element of suddenness even with expected death if that makes any sense yeah yeah. do you ever do you ever cry for your patients, I, I guess you call them patients, or your um, clients. Clients, not with them. Not with. Them. I might, I might tear up, but actually, I, I, I. There's a little technique that we have as counselors when we hear very sad situations, where literally there's a way you can. There's a pressure point in your hand, and so if people are deeply grieving and telling us their story, they're really struggling, and they need us to be there for them and to hear it and be compassionate but if I started to truly cry with them human nature that person would want to comfort me and the emphasis turns on to me instead of them Mm -hmm. so yes there's times when I cry there's times when I'm I'm very taken emotionally but I take care of that separate from my being present with somebody it has to stay focused on them okay well that's a wrap and uh, Patty I've Dr. Patricia Annawalt, I should say. I truly appreciate you spending time with us today and talking to us about the Pathway Center for Grief and Loss. Thank you very much. Thank you.